Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is January 4th, 2016, and this is episode 148. My name is Jake English, and I'm here, as always, riding the coattails of Scott Magnus. Now, if you're listening to my voice right now, it's most likely that you're doing it at our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. It's also possible that you found us on the Baltimore Sports Report, of which we are proud members over at the Baltimore Sports Report Network, which you can find at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. You can also find us as one of the many great baseball shows on baseballtalkradio.com. You can catch the show on third-party platforms such as Miro and Stitcher and Double Twist and iTunes. And please, if you listen to us on any of those platforms, make sure that you rate and review this show. It really helps us. You can find us on social media any which way you like, on Google+, on Facebook. But the easiest way to find us is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. Scott Magnus, it's time for the most important part of the program. What is your drink of the week? Jake, I'm drinking the Anchor Brewing Company Merry Christmas Ale. Um, they do this every single year. They basically come out uh, with a brand new version of this. It's a little different every year. I think it's a hit or miss beer. This year, it's a hit for me. Last year, it was a miss. Um, Wasn't but, last year, it was like drinking a pine needle? Yes. This has still got that pine note to it, but it's not as bad, I didn't think. So, uh, kudos, Anchor Brewing. Well done. All right, I'm drinking a Flying Dog Counterculture. Eh, this gets a 2.5 for me. Not really, not really loving it. It is not your type of beer. It is not my type of beer. Um, if you are interested in letting us know what you are up to uh, in the drink of the week, please make sure that you let us know. Tweet at us uh, with hashtag drink of the week. You can also find us on Untapped. Uh, Scott, where are you on Untapped? Uh, you can follow me at Untapped at M E G N eight six zero six, and I believe you can follow you at Jake E four zero two five. That's right. And of where course, you can follow out. and figure out what Miller Light or Michelob Ultra Jake is drinking. All right, this is far from Michelob Ultra. I would be enjoying it. If it were a Michelob Ultra. Well, okay. Let's let's stop arguing, Scott. Yes. Because there's important business to be had here. Oh, so we're going to get to negotiating. Absolutely. All right, so it's time for the Chris Davis Watch. And, of course, big breaking announcement uh, for everyone that didn't hear um, what occurred. Here's what is going currently on at the, on the Chris Davis Watch. Wait, here it comes. I, no. No, nothing. Nothing at all. So uh, it's been a very quiet, not just for Chris Davis, but majority of the uh, free agents have uh, taken the holidays off and just enjoyed the peace and quiet. Ah, That's a very boring way to do a podcast, though. So if we're going to get exciting, let's do it in 140 characters or less this week on the Twitters. 
All right, first, this week on the Twitters, I want to look at something uh, from John Morosi, who tweets, of course, at John Morosi. Um, and it says, nine Major League Baseball free agents who rejected the $15.8 million qualifying offer remain unsigned. Market is slow moving this winter. What is the deal, Scott? What's the deal? Um, it's. I'm actually a little surprised that uh, the market has been as slow as it has been, especially with all the articles that came out and said, oh, it's going to be really quick-paced. And it certainly looked like it was going to have dominoes fall into place, but... Honestly, I'm kind of curious on whether Chris Davis is someone of a linchpin. And people are saying, well, if Chris Davis is getting $150 million from the Orioles, I should be able to get $150 million too. Yeah, he certainly seems important in the outfield market. I mean, Alex Gordon, Cespedes, Upton, these are names that are waiting. It's interesting because um, on the uh, on the MLB Network channel on the radio, they've been crowing that at least half, it might be as many as 13 of the top 20 free agents in this offseason are still unsigned. So it'll be interesting to see where this offseason goes, or more importantly, when yeah. this offseason goes. One of the big news items that came out today was, well, let's get right into it. Eric Fisher reported, and you can follow him at Eric Fisher SBJ, that at Baseball Hall, which is, of course, the Baseball Hall of Fame, has issued a dress code guidelining for Hall of Fame election presser Thursday, even more stringent than what Major League Baseball issues and a first for the Hall of Fame. This is probably, you know, giving some notification out there to the uh, digital dandies that are out there uh, talking on their podcast and their bloggers. Um you know, you've got to have a certain amount of decorum, a certain amount of presence if you're going to go and cover the prestigious institution known as the Hall of Fame. Listen here, Dapper Dan. Yeah. You are never fully dressed without that smile. Okay. So for the rest of the podcast, we're going to go ahead and put our top hats on. And I'm going to put a monocle on right now, too. Ladies and gentlemen, he's only wearing a top hat and monocle. Yes. Help me. It is like I'm the New Year's baby, basically. Wasn't it ridiculous, though, to see baseball Twitter blow up with people being all sanctimonious about this dress code? I don't think whatsoever, because if we're going to blow up and be all sanctimonious about who should get into the Hall of Fame, I think we should be able to be sanctimonious about what kind of attire I have to wait to the Hall of Fame induction. I hate it when you win an argument. I hate that. (laughs) All right, next, I want to look at something that came from Dan Heron, who tweets... A person that will not get into the Hall of Fame. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he can buy a ticket. (laughs) Dan Heron, who tweets, at iThrow88... Um, he had, honestly, he throws more 85, but (laughs) (laughs) what, what's the best way does it, he stream of consciousness to out through Twitter today. Uh, but here was the highlight I felt. And this tweet was as follows. I had to take Imodium most days I pitched to plug myself up. Emoji crap symbol. Yeah. That's words of wisdom from a major league pitcher. This right is, there. Yeah, this is what happens when people have nothing better to do, and they say, I'm just going to type randomly into uh, a media form, which, in fact, may be a, a foreshadowing for the last segment of our show. So be prepared. You know when they asked <laughs> Rogers Hornsby what he does in the spring? He, did, he, he stared out the window because there was no Twitter. Well, no, he just stared out his window and typed on his typewriter and sent nasty notes. <laughs> uh, Buster Olney, you can follow him at Buster underscore. Yes, Friend of the program, yeah. former guest Buster Olney. Uh, well, well, pat on the back for us. <laughs> Orioles continue to be engaged with free agents. Looks like they will again do a lot of their off-season work post-holidays. 
You think he just saves that draft and tweets it out every January? I'm sure it's on TweetDeck and basically it's scheduled to come out once a week. Uh, I'm sure that Delman Young is happy, though, to know that the Orioles are doing all their shopping post-Hanukkah. Ouch. All right, real friend of the program here. I want to give a shout-out. Uh, it was something we missed, and I want to make sure we went back to. This is a tweet from Ranting Oriole Bird, who tweets at Ranting Oriole. Very active on social media and uh, is very kind to us. He, uh, the person that, that is behind that account uh, put out a picture. This is a, a tweet from, I can get the date here. It's uh, December 27th. December 27th. And this is the same person that put out that great graphic of games Jake goes to versus wins. Yeah. It's a fantastic, Highly accurate. A fantastic graphic uh, that they put together here for games above and below 500, remembering the 2015 Orioles. Um, it's worth checking out. Of course, all of the tweets from this week on the Twitters are on the show notes for this particular episode. Make sure that you go check it out and make sure that you also go out and check Ranting Oriole Bird. Uh, a lot of wit, insight, and, of course, these fantastic graphics. Keep Can I just up. tell you, after looking at the graph, I am so sad because I remember doing that podcast after the athletic series and being all gung-ho. Yeah. And just looking at that graph afterwards is just tear-inducing. Because it really doesn't look that bad up until a point. No, it's like, okay, you know, getting their traction, getting their traction. All right, they finally got their traction. They're going to start going ahead and blowing it. Oh, no. Yeah. And then no-no in the graph. But, yeah, excellent job by Ranting Oriole. Give them a follow on Twitter. Much deserved. Um, there was another tweet on Twitter this week, but it can't just go in with 140 characters left. I want to I want to bridge this out a little bit larger. If that's Are you possible. breaking the format of this program, Scott Magnus? We have standard. No, we don't. No, we don't. If there's anything we know how to do, it's break the rules. And let's go ahead and do that. All right, folks, it's had to have seeped into every O's fan's mind over the holidays. Yeah, I know I talked about it earlier, saying that not a lot of activity happened over these past two weeks. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You perhaps missed the signing of Paul Janish? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but I, honestly, I think the ghost of Christmas past is beginning to haunt us once again. And honestly, it's potentially looking like it's the ghost of present and future at the same time. As Show well. me no more, spirit. Yeah. So over the past few years, the Orioles, of course, has been inactive over off-season upon off-season upon off-season. And people will come back and say, you know, they signed Nelson Cruz and Evaldo Jimenez in 2014, but that was right before spring training. And let's be honest here, the qualifying offer allowed them to really garner some really decent contracts that probably wouldn't have been out there. And maybe that'll still happen with the Orioles. But looking at the players that are out there in the qualifying offer market, uh, besides two or three of them, I'm willing to give them a pass. My guess, my question is, Jake, you know, should we really be surprised? I mean, maybe, maybe not. However, in my opinion, we're diehards and we want to cling to some hope going into every offseason because it's the only amount of baseball that we can get. I mean, I thought when the Diamondbacks went out and get Granky, I was like, well, there's a ton of money in baseball. The Orioles have to have at least a little bit of this money. Maybe the Orioles would sign a big name. And, you know, as Roger and JP would say from the best baseball movie ever, it could happen. No, nothing from best baseball movie? No. Would you like me to flap my wings? No. no? Okay. Everybody knows that the best baseball movie is a league of their own, hands down. It's Well, that and maybe a field of dreams. But um, 
I guess my question is, Jake, and this comes back to the tweet I was talking about before the break. Mike Petrilia put out this uh, tweet right before the holidays, um, and he said, who's the worst team in the American League? O's, A's, Twins, Tigers, White Sox? Yet couldn't you see any of them making playoffs? NL may have seven worst teams in Major League Baseball. All right. I understand what Mike is saying here, and I tend to agree with him. I think the Orioles, you know, the AL is pretty much wide open, and I think there's no dominant team, unlike in the National League where you've got the Cubs, for example, and the Dodgers, who are going to be really, really good. Um, but I Obscenely guess, yeah, good. I, I guess the question is, I found it interesting that the O's were lumped into these teams as one of the worst teams in the American League. And I, I guess the question is, are the Orioles really that bad? And I think if you go back and look at some of the stuff from Fangraphs, who Mike Petrolio writes for, you can look at some of the depth charts and you see the Orioles are... 12th out of 15th, the American League in pitching F4. Um, they're the worst in terms of starting pitching in terms of F4. Um, and, but even position players, which uses batting and fielding for F4, they're 13th out of 15th. Um, they certainly look by the numbers as one of the worst teams. But let's come back and point out that by the numbers, the Royals were held in strong disregard last year too and then came out and played like gangbuster and beat every single projection model possible. I guess my question is, Jake, looking at the situation where it is right now, if the Orioles make no more major moves, do you see them as one of the worst teams in the American League? Well, I, I think that his tweet was worded really well in the fact that he said, sure, the of the six worst teams in the AL, but I guess I could see some of them making the playoffs, maybe, question mark. And I, I think that goes to when we look at, okay, what do we want to be at the end of the season? The Astros showed it last year. If you can get into that 83 to 86 win mark, you've got a chance, right? So you're looking to be a team like that because the Orioles aren't going to go gangbusters and spend like crazy. So you're aiming to be in one of those teams that you can maybe sneak into the wild card or overperform that by just a couple of games and be in the 89 to 90 win territory and, and be looking at a uh, looking at a division crown. So the question is, then by comparison, if you're maybe not that 86 level just yet, aren't you maybe at 80? And then possibly 72, you know what I mean? And and when you get to that level, you know, the separation between some of the middling teams and the worst teams in the AL, I, I think you're exactly right. Parity is not necessarily the AL's friend this year. I think, though, the real question is that the Orioles were an 81-win team last year. And I would argue that in many ways the roster is not much changed except for the fact that Chris Davis is no longer an Oriole. And William Chen is no longer and an William Oriole. And Chen is no longer an Oriole. But a lot is coming back. I mean, it's a very intact team with the exception of those two, and I would I would garner very big losses. The question is, can the team as constituted right now make it back to 81 wins? And if that's the case, and I'm not saying it is, we'll, we'll discuss that in a minute, but if that is the case, if they can get back to 81 wins, does that make them one of the worst teams in the AL? Do you want me to answer this question? Yeah, yeah. All right, so my opinion on, on this is, if the Orioles make no additional moves and, you know, they don't go out and sign a Chris Davis or a Wigan Chen or any major player and they stay, you know what, we're going to go with Paul Yanish out there in right field or Ryan Flaherty out there in right field. And we think that we can, you know, take our buoy teams and Norfolk teams who are, you know, great organizational depth mm -hmm. and parlay this into being a competitive baseball team in the American League East. If that notion is true and we go with the Steve Molesky roster manipulation, I think the Orioles can win right around 70 games, basically. Uh, I see this team as, you know, definitely one of the worst. Their starting pitching is 
definitely the worst. I mean, you're talking about the best person on that rotation, theoretically, is Kevin Gossman. Is the hope yes. of Kevin Gossman. Right, is, is the hope of Kevin Gossman. And, and the next best pitcher after that is probably a Baldo Jimenez. And that's a scary proposition, all things considering. So, uh, you know, I, I don't see how... If you're the Orioles, you say we have to, we can't make major moves. And I guess the thing that concerns me is, you know, there are moves being made with pitching always coming off the boards. Scott Casimir was a name that came off the boards. Uh, uh, it's these Kenta out of Japan. Yeah, and Kenta Miyato came off the boards in Japan as well. And it's these kind of you know big you know players that you know are not superstars. But they're players that are going to get two to three F war in terms of their projections, and they could easily slot in as a number two or a number three starter for the Orioles. Whereas other options out there, such as like Orioles fans would say Tyler Wilson and Mike Wright, I'm sorry, Orioles fans, they're not going to have the impact that those other players are going to have. There, there is a reason why no other team is asking for Tyler Wilson or Mike Wright to fill a starting pitching gap. All right, spoiler alert. Yeah, I agree with you. Okay, I hate admitting this, but I agree with you. However. Can we can we have a thought exercise here? Okay, I'm going to wander wow. off the beaten track. Um, off the dangerous. Path. Now again, spoiler alert. I agree with you. However, I would like you to take a hypothetical me that has wandered off into Jim Hunter territory. Okay. All right. Let me remove my glasses. Yeah. I'm oh. now replacing them <clears throat> with Wait, a orange fine, colored. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're tinted. Nice. Yeah, it's beautiful. I can see nothing but yeah. orange. Uh, let me just step through everything but starting pitching. Are you going through the looking glass here? I am indeed. Okay. I've fallen through. I'm going to avoid starting pitching. Okay. But we talk about the Chris Davis watch. So we're going to avoid the tourniqueted right arm right now. Actually, let's make it a tourniqueted left arm since we lost Wee and Chen. It's just a flesh wound. Okay. All right. We have the Chris Davis watch. Yeah. We talk about is he coming back or not. Look, I, on an emotional level, want Chris Davis back. But let let me, from the Orioles apologist portion here, ask you this question. Yeah. Outside of the pitching, does this team need a Chris Davis in the lineup? This is a lineup that has um, a still potent Adam Jones, a rising Manny Machado. And when I say rising, I mean he hit 35 home runs last year. Right. And that wasn't his best skill. Yeah, but it was pretty darn good. Jonathan Scope is a young and upcoming power hitter. Yeah. Mark Trumbo. And then the rest of the guys. Mark Trumbo. And then We're putting our hat on Mark Trumbo? No. Okay. He was the fourth guy I named in a lineup <laughs> of nine. He was the fourth guy. Right. Now, there are question marks. There are question marks like, what the heck are you going to get out of J.J. Hardy? Right. There, there are question marks such as, can this uh, Han Yu... Uh, Han Su Kim. Thank you. Um, can he play in the majors? Can yeah. he hit? You know, sure, he's got on-base on capabilities, but does that mean anything here? Play discipline. Does it transfer? Are you going to get anything out of Matt Wieters? Sure, he's got pop. He might hit you 20 home runs, but is he going to have a 200 batting average to go along with it? There are, admittedly, questions. But I think there's a possibility of a very strong and potent lineup there with the exception of Hardy and whatever they do in right field, which is probably going to be for the first 10 games until he gets hurt, Nolan Reimold, there's some, there's some real, there's some shine there to the lineup. Let's not pretend that this is a terrible lineup. It's a pretty terrible lineup. Let's, let's be, let's be realistic here. It's a pretty terrible lineup. Tell me why it's a terrible lineup. All right. So we're talking, I think we can both agree that Manny Machado and Adam Jones, good offensive players. Pretty good. Yeah. 
And then there's a huge downfall at that point. You got Mark Trumbo, who, again, is terrible on base percentage, um, barely going above 300. Uh, again, hits with pop, but, again, doesn't get on base a lot. He better hit it if he swings. Right. Uh, and then you're left with Jonathan Scope, who, again, you know, had a promising season this last year, but just one. We're one season removed where he was having a 60 weighted runs created plus in 2014, and I was screaming for Brian Roberts to come back to this team and play for him. No, no, no. You were screaming for Diana Roberts to escort her husband uh, to the that's, ballpark. That's true. I, I do think, you know, Jonathan Scope does have potential, but the question is, how big a potential does he have? Is it superstar potential? Is it all-star potential? I think it's eh, potential. It's it's good, but it's not great potential, which, again, you need to have a good portion of superstars on your team. Jones and Machado can serve that, but I think this team needs one additional superstar slash all-star-like player. Chris Davis is kind of that all-star-like player. Um, I think the Orioles need to go out and get a player like Chris Davis, Alex Gordon, Justin Upton, and get that all-star role. You make a compelling argument. Yeah. I I agree with you that Jonathan Scope and Mark Trumbo and the other cats, whoever they may be, are supporting cast. I think they're pretty good supporting cast, but you are correct. They are supporting cast. And I agree with you that uh, the throw-the-team-on-your-shoulder types are Adam Jones and Manny Machado, and that's probably not enough. My question to you is this. Mm. You pose the question, are they one of the worst teams in the AAL? And so I ask you, is the difference between a mediocre team and the worst or one of the worst teams in the AL one player? Yes. I would say yes. Uh, and again, it comes back to, if you go and look at the depth charts, uh, and this kind of comes back to what Mike Petrolio posted. He said, you know, you've got the five worst teams in the American League, but any of them could win a playoff spot. I think the gap is so close between being, you know, a 70-win team to a mid-80s team that my question is, Dear God, Orioles, please do something before this opportunity moves away. All right, I'll be, I'll be briefer with the, my next two points. Okay. So we've we've covered, I'm going to basically break the team into quarters here. Okay. We've addressed the starting lineup, which I agree, has some troubles. Let's talk about the secondary position players, the 25th man, so to speak. Yeah. I think the Orioles are well set here. Yes, I think the Orioles are well set in terms of the 25th man. Look, I'm just looking for one additional player. I'm looking for a left-handed DH uh, I'm looking for either Pedro Alvarez or I'm looking at Matt Joyce. Those are my two choices. Okay. I, and again, if I don't get either one of them, eh, you know, I'm not going to cry cry my, myself to sleep at night. But if I got one of those, I'd be happy. So we're pretty pleased with our offensive reserves, even if we don't go get a guy like Steve Pierce, who we all love. I would love Steve Pierce, but to a certain aspect, it was filled by Mark Trumbo. I hear that. All right, let's go to the bullpen. Okay. I would argue that we should have no qualms in the bullpen. We are not going to talk about the bullpen because the bullpen is perfectly fine. In fact, one would raise the question of was money spent in an area with Darren O'Day that it should have been spent elsewhere else. But it's great to have Darren O'Day back. It's great to have Darren O'Day back. And I would I would almost say that they're in the embarrassment of riches area. Like the Yankees. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. That's not an embarrassment. There are not words in English that describe what that bullpen is, at least none that we can say on this here podcast. But let's set aside. The, the bullpen is good. Okay. The bullpen is not anywhere near. And that brings us to the starting pitching. Yeah. Which is, as you noted, dreadful. It's abysmal. And dreadful is, is polite. Abysmal is polite. We have, as I said before, the hope of Kevin Gosman. We have the hope that Obaldo um, Jimenez is not pothole worthy. We have the hope that Chris Davis, or I'm sorry, that Chris Tillman, Freudian slip, yeah. you know, is somewhere more closer to his um, 
his all-star appearance than he was last year. We have, have to hope that Miguel Gonzalez doesn't pull a full uh, Bud Norris, but I don't feel good about any of those things. And the Orioles have let every opportunity go by. Here's another thing that disappoints me most about the pitching. I would be okay with the offensive deficiencies we just talked about if we had a, a pitching staff that was even mediocre. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a tendency to agree with that of, you know, it's it's not a good good sign all, and, all, all around. And if you're not going to fix the pitching, you better go buy some bats. Yeah. And some really, really big ones, right? Yeah, yeah I agree. I mean, I if, agree. You're, if you're not going to fix the pitching, which they've determined they're not, right. you might as well go try to hit your way out of the problem. But they let Scott Casimir go. They haven't done anything else to address it. And really, they're getting to the point where the only options that are left have have implications with the with the uh, qualifying offer. Or you have a situation with players like Matt Latos or Doug Fister, who the question is, you know, can either of them be, you know, their dominant selves once again and their reclamation projects? And do you want to take a reclamation project on? After the twenty four after the twenty fourteen offseason, aren't you tired of hopes and prayers and maybes and reclamation projects? Wouldn't it be nice to see the Orioles go after one pitcher that you absolutely know is gonna work out? Yeah, but I think that time has passed us by now. And I yeah, think Yeah, in twenty twelve. <laughs> right. And I think that time has passed us by. Even looking at the players that are out there that uh, have qualifying offers attached to them, there's only one name that I would even be willing to go out and spend big money on. And that's Wigan Chen. Hmm. I would not go off and spend big money on Ian Kennedy, who has qualifying offer. I wouldn't go big go big on Giovanni Gorardo. Uh The only other players that interest me besides Chen are Matt Latos and Doug Vister, and neither one of those strike me as yippee. But if I had to pick, I'd go with Matt Latos since he's a predominant ground ball pitcher. All right, I have a. He also has a pitch called the Critter. No, he's got a cat named Cat Latos, he, he, and he's also got a pitch called the Critter, which I kind of like. But that's that's a one-two punch. Yeah, exactly. Can I ask an unpopular question? Yeah. If the best pitcher on the board, yeah, that you and I think is available is Wei and Chen, yeah, and it's going to cost what a hundred million dollars to rein him, uh, according to Scott Boris. Okay, so it's going to cost eighty to a hundred million dollars to bring him in. Yeah. If we're uncomfortable with spending that money on Wei and Chen, and I, I don't know how you feel about that. We can argue about that later. If you're unwilling to spend that kind of money on the pitchers that are available, is there any argument to be made to simply standing pat until there is a free agent market or a trade market or an international signing market that the Orioles can be more competitive in? You're absolutely right. That's exactly what they should do because that's what the Cincinnati Reds did. Um, after being very competitive for multiple seasons, they're like, hey, we're going to stamp pad in free agency and we're going to let the trade market develop. And then they ended up trading Todd Frazier for nothing, even though they probably should have traded him after the home run derby. But they couldn't do that because, you know, the fans would have been upset. And then they traded Orodas Trapman for four prospects, none of them elite uh, and basically are back at square one and going to have to redevelop their entire system once again. And they're going to be left with, you know, a 60 or 70 win team. So, yes, you're absolutely right. Standing pat is a great move for any team to make, especially when they have, you know, superstars that are getting older and older and getting further and further out of club control. Two awesome things just happened. Yes. The first was that I found a loose cannon in my six-pack, which is uh, a miracle. It's yeah. like manna from heaven. And the second is that you just shot me up with a really good point. Yeah. But the best part is Dusty Baker is managing the, the Nats now. <laughs> that does No, that doesn't fix anything. Yeah. So your question, can the Orioles really be one of the worst teams in the league? I say yes. Right now, yes. Could they be better? Absolutely. They could easily be 
a mid-80s team. And people are going to be like, well, mid-80s, that's not a playoff team. But come back to, if you're right there in the middle of the pack with the amount of you know luck that goes into it and the way the ball bounces, a middle-of-the-pack team can easily win it. You just cannot be a bottom percentile team. And it comes back to last year of when the Padres were making all those big moves and people were just like, wow, the Padres are doing great. And look at the White Sox. They're signing all these players. If you looked at their depth chart, you're just like, yeah, but... They're still really terrible teams, and you need to be above that in order to basically still be able to overcome the bounces of one player going down, one player going up. Yeah, but can we agree on something? Sure. Justin Upton is a really lovely shade of lipstick on a pig. It is a lovely lipstick. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think when you look at mid-80s as a projection, that's not a best-case projection. No, right? no, no. And when and when you say mid eighties, that means that the upper end of that might be eighty eight. Oh, and, and that yeah. and most projection and most projection models are off by six to eight wins. So sure. again, if you're at eighty five wins, then it's like, well, you could easily be ninety three wins, or you could easily be you know seventy eight wins. And let us not forget, Orioles fans, that your two thousand fifteen Orioles were only two six game losing streaks away from being a fantastic ball club. God, I hate you so much right I now. Know. <laughs> I know. Oh, that's that's just painful. Um, look, I, I think it comes down to this. You know, if the Orioles are really going to wait around for Chris Davis, fine. But other moves can be made right now in the medium. Uh, you know, a, a starting pitcher needs to be signed, whether it be Matt Latos or Doug Fister. Or two pitchers. Or, or two pitchers. But realistically, I think you have to just say we're just going to stick with one and go with that. <laughs> realistically, they'll probably get half a pitcher. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, we do have... Uh, Vance Worley, so we've got the Vanimals, so we're in good shape there. Hardy har har. Um, but the Orioles could be making bit moves. And again, it comes back to the Orioles making bit moves and small moves such as this is the real critical key. This is how Dan Duquette has shaped the Orioles into being as good as they are. I'm going to come back to Hansu Kim. Hansu Kim is those kind of small moves that make a big difference at the end of the year. If you look at the Zips projections for Hansu Kim, He's projected to get about 2.0 war over the next two seasons. When you look and you're just like, yeah, that's really not that big of a deal. You know, that's not a big player. But again, it's that bit piece that plays a significant role. I love the Hun Kim Su uh, signing, and I love it because, first of all, low low stakes. Right? Exactly. It's, again, it's the aspect of these are the kind of moves that the Orioles need to make. They need to make moves that you know are small increments in terms of wins, not negative war, which we've talked about before on this podcast, but also not a lot of value associated with it as well. And that's the way you get ahead. That's why Steve Pierce is going to come back, because if he wants a two-year, $10 million deal, Steve Pierce is probably not worth $5 million a season. He's probably closer to being 2 or $3 million a season. And, and the thing that, to keep in mind is that as negative as I just, as we both just sounded right there, keep in mind that the Duquette regime is really good at these fringe moves. Yeah. And, and let you know, we we pounded them for waiting around and waiting around and waiting around. But can we agree for just a second that uh, Cruz may be the best one year eight million dollar signing in the history of one year eight million dollar signings? Oh, I totally agree with you he, about he that. He was there for the taking. The Orioles made it happen. You know, Abaldo Jimenez. Everybody panned the move, but now look at the money that's being paid for starting pitching. He might actually make that that contract worth it yeah after the contract came out with kenta miata and i saw the eight years and 25 million dollars and of course it's gonna be higher than that i was just like gosh darn it why can't the orioles ever get a good contract like that and i was like oh wait we signed nelson cruz for one year and eight million dollars and he led us to an al east championship yeah i'm gonna go ahead and eat my pills here and 
Still, isn't Andrew Friedman like it's just his world and we're living in it? Pretty much. Andrew Friedman is pretty much basically stealing draft picks from the Orioles. Oh, wait, that actually did happen. All right. Well, I'm tired of talking about negative things. You want to talk about something a, a little happier? I want some magic in this world. Scotty, we claim to be a weekly podcast. Hmm. But let's face it, our schedule gets a little wonky during the offseason. Sure, we pride ourselves on bringing consistent content during the season when there's actually something to talk about. But now, I mean, this week's show could very well have had a segment about the impact of Paul Yanish's return. And then a 10-minute rant from Scott about my defense of the Ravens' gold pants the other week. Whew. I think Twitter took you to task on that one. These are troubled times, my friends. These are troubled times for the kingdom. And so, on this 148th episode of Bird's Eye View, we're here to tell you we've had it. We're hanging it up. Rip. Yep, we're going on vacation. I mean, I mean, we, we're not going on vacation. Not like together. Kind of, though. Yeah, kind of. Kind of like we went on vacation at the same time last time? Yeah. Mm. Mm. Creepy. No, so uh, we're going uh, on uh, on vacation. We are uh, we're taking the kids to Disney World, and uh, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about it. It should be fun, I guess. Hey, kids, the wives are going to love it. We're taking the families down. We're going to do Disney. We're going to do it big. We've been before. We loved it. We don't maybe love it as much as Bert Rohde and Zach Wilt, uh, but we love it. But it, this got me to thinking, Scott, and I, I apologize. I'm going to spring this on you last minute. It got me to thinking. What would it be like if the Orioles had a theme park? Oh, God. That's so, no, if you'll excuse, excuse the diversion uh, from our usual hard-hitting journalism. Which there's none. I'd like to discuss a few rides and attractions that we'd see at an amusement park called Birdland. Mm. No, hear me out here. There are a lot of really good tie-ins that we could have with standard Disney World fare. All okay. right. All right, so um, let's look at something iconic in, okay. in both Oreo Land and well, Birdland and Disney World. Okay, let's look at Dumbo the Flying Elephant. That's the one that goes up in the air and spins around. Absolutely. Yeah. And when you think Dumbo, you think uh, Lucky Feather. You think you know Hero Story. And I you think, think Racist Crows, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> and you think no, we didn't talk about this beforehand. <laughs> and you think most. I ain't never. Oh, sorry. I'm just you think most importantly <laughs> about big ears. Oh, yeah. And when you think big ears and Baltimore, you think? He's got little bitty ears. Absolutely. So this ride would be called Hakuna Machado. See, it's perfect. It even has a Disney tie-in. This is... um, this is one of those rides where they, they give you whiplash by, like, radically changing your speed and direction. Like, one of those uh, uh, roller coasters where you, like, zoom from zero to 60 in and, and really short uh, period of time. Yeah. So here's what I got, I got in mind. All right. The, uh, the ride itself is a, a large baseball and it holds, like, I don't know, four passengers. Okay. And the ball is hurtled from a stop position to 70 miles an hour down a giant foul line. Okay. okay? And then an enormous animatronic Manny Machado. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Manimatronic? Yes. Mm. A Manimatronic catches the ball and hurdles the rider to first base in plenty of time to see either, depending on your luck, a disappointed face of Albert Pujols or a completely perplexed Luis Cruz. Mm. Okay. I, I see where you're going with this. 
I think we can do better, in all honesty. All right. All right. I was prepared for you to be dubious. All right. So I, I think I've got one here that I want to throw by you if we're going with the same theme. Oh, Scott Magnus came prepared for this segment. Let's hear it. So if you're going with this whole idea of Disney World and Berlin, what do you think about this? What if you do a Pirates of the Caribbean, but instead of the Pirates of the Caribbean, you do the Pirates ruin everything. And it's a horror ride in which the writers relive the trials and tribulations of the 1979 World Series. There you are sitting within Memorial Stadium, seeing another team clinch the World Series in your own home stadium. Uh, It would be kind of almost like it's a small world. And you'd be basically in the background while you're exiting the ride, you would be hearing We Are Family playing on repeat over and over and over again. That's the hor- most horrible thing I've ever heard. Well, challenge accepted for next podcast. Oh, Lordy. All right, here's a good one. Okay. It's not just the rides. It's all about the experiences that mm. you have at Disney World, right? So it, it, in Birdland... There would have to be some things you could walk around and do with the family, right? So uh, I'm thinking that um, kind of the in the Tomorrowland area, they have this thing called Project of Tomorrow, Inventing Wonders of the Future. And I, that guy I had no idea that that was in Disney World. Well, you should spend more time on the internet, sir. Okay. Rule 34. Um, so I have Project of Tomorrow, The Cavalry. And this is kind of like the Hall of Presidents, and I really think this could work. Okay. Um, it's kind of like a, a man, more Manimatronics or a wax museum or something like that, but it's, it's a big hall full of young pitchers, mm-hmm. right? And you walk through and tell yourself convincing lies about the future prospects of each one of the players, and as the player tells you about his or her career accomplishments in high school and college and all that good stuff, um, and out of all the hundreds of the room, one each day is selected as the pitching prospect that will break your heart uh, for another organization. And if you pick that one, then you get a free, I don't know, fast pass or something to another depressing attraction in the park. And bonus, this particular attraction is narrated by Dave Tremley. Can I throw a spin on this? I would love to hear it. So if we're going to go and we're going to create these animatronic robots that basically tell their stories, what if we do a body switch and instead of having real Brian Mattis, we have animatronic Brian Mattis who was supposed to be our, our first round draft pick and to basically throw him into our rotation? I'm going to argue that we already have an animatronic <laughs> Brian Mattis. But this one actually will pitch decent. Okay. Does the animatronic Brian Mattis know what sunscreen is? Uh, yes, but it's actually lubrication oil, but that's oh, a whole other matter. Oh, Lordy. All right. Let me try another one here. There's a new attraction in Disney World called Enchanted Tales with Belle. You read stories with her. I'm thinking of another storytelling with Belle. What about Enraged Tales with Belle? You enjoy an interactive story featuring Albert Bell. You know the song, Be Our Guest from Beauty and the Beast. Well, Albert will bring the house down with the locker room classic, Get the Hell Out, where corks fly from bats like confetti. It's going to be beautiful. I think you're onto something there, Scott. You're, you're really getting the spirit of this uh, uh, Orioles Magic Kingdom, if you will. Mm, okay. All right, next, I want to go to, uh, well... One of the things I'm really excited about, whether the kids are or not, is the Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular. Um, It's something I I really look forward to every time. Look, I know it's not really Harrison Ford, which, you know, I'm I'm a little warm under the collar for uh, Mr. Ford. But hear me out on this one. I want a simply AJ-10 Stunt Spectacular. Mm. All right. Follow the wonders of Adam Jones as he leaps through the air, smashes the ball, throws out runners all while blowing bubbles. Supporting cast includes his boys, P.T., L.J. Hose, and an emotional cameo from Nick Markakis. Is he the one that wields the knife and then he gets shot? Yes. Okay. But all with beard. Okay. No, no. He's the guy with the huge beard where Indy actually, like, instead of pulling the sword, just draws out his revolver. He's the one that gets shot because he's 
twirling around. Yeah, go I ahead. Like it. I like it. This dazzling show takes you through the exploits on the field as well as off-field demands in the front office. It culminates with him running away from a gigantic wadded ball of bubblegum attempting to crash his career. Not bad. Not bad. Kind of overdone. It's been there for about 20 years, but eh, whatever. We'll, we'll see what it's like. All right, how about this? Instead of the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, what about the late season swoon Tower of Terror? Woof. Here, the rider is taken to the top of the American League East standings and unceremoniously dropped, simulating the Orioles' fall from competitiveness in 2015. Ouch. In addition to this gut-wrenching fear, riders will be swept with angst and self-loathing, and as you exit, you will be greeted by the jeers of Yankees and Blue Jays fans. I have a funny feeling that when I wear my Orioles jersey at Disney World, I'm going to get jeers from other Yankees fans as well. Why would I need to ride this ride? I experience this ride all the time. Yes, it's called the Dark Ages. Yeah, but this whole Birdland uh, or or Bird World or whatever it is that we're creating here, it needs to have insider experience. You need to feel like you're part of the organization, part of the process. And that brings me, Scott, to the next one. They've got this thing at Disney World called Peter's pa- Peter Pan's Flight. I'm thinking Peter Angelos's Fight. Mm, okay. All right, so for this one, just close your eyes for a second. I'm, I'm simulating it. Go All ahead. right. You take your seat in an elegant New York City boardroom. As you go through this interactive ride, which flies you through the exciting world of corporate litigation. You can fly. You can fly. Watch as Peter Angelos and company defend their position over ongoing mass and dispute with executives from Major League Baseball, the Washington National, and various other clubs. Pitch in to help with Peter's legal defense. I'm sure you'll do asbestos. You can. Oh, my goodness. The Baltimoreans would be proud right now. Oh, well, what about this? Instead of doing the carousel, which is Prince Charming's regal carousel, what if we do the Charming Orioles carousel? You get on, you spin around, but you get atop something a little bit different than zoo animals. Instead, you get on top former Orioles models, including jockey ad Jim Palmer, poster boy Brady Anderson, and boy next door Brian Roberts. And, you know, if you're feeling left out on some of the more present things, Fellas, don't worry about it. Recently installed and waiting the results of 2015's offseason, we have Mustache Ride Davis. I like it. Yeah. I like that very much. All right, let's close this out. All right. All right, and I think we need to do it on a classy note. If you go to... <laughs> let's uh, not start now. If you go to Disney World, one of the, the things you can do is Epcot, right? Yeah. And uh, sure, it's not like real travel, but you can become a, a person of the world, right? You can yep. go around, and there's Norway, and there's Mexico, and there's Japan, China, whatever. I want to do a ride... <clears throat> and an attraction here. Instead of something that Disney World has called O Canada, I wanted to have an attraction called O Canada, No Canada. Mm. This is a 36-minute Circle Vision 360 film, and it's split into two parts. The first, of course, is hosted by Dan Duquette, and it showcases the very best of our neighbors to the north. You can almost smell the want and desperation as Dan Duquette describes the place that he very nearly called home. The terrible bacon at that way as well. I'm glad you mentioned that, Scott, because the second half of this Ooh. video is hosted by Darren O'Day. Oh, and it is an expletive-laced rant, fit to impress his wife's Fox News audience, about what a crappy oh. place that Canada is. Topics of his ire include Canadian bacon, Jose Bautista, and whatever it is that they call the turf at Rogers Center. Sure, he's a nice guy on off the field, but that doesn't cover it when it comes to to Canada. I get the no Canada thing. That was uh that was somewhat well done. Somewhat. No Canada. Stop. No. No. Stop. So there you have it. 
Orioles fans, I think we may be onto something. I think an Orioles themed theme park, ooh, themed theme park, Birdland could make like dozens of dollars. Did I miss anything? Did did is there anything that we failed to explain? If so, let us know. Tweet it out, put it in the show notes, send us angry letters, whatever. Or just beg the Orioles for give us something to talk about. All right, that's going to do it for this week. We are, uh, well, I'm sorry about that last segment. I I can only apologize. Oof. This is the time in the show where we usually blow the save. This is uh, basically us going out on a low note. Uh, I had something planned, but I'm actually going to call a quick audible. I wanted actually to send a heartfelt thank out to my cousin Jeff. Um, my cousin, or my cousin Jeff, my uncle Jeff, he... Um, he, he's done two amazing things for us. Uh, he and my Aunt Eileen have set up childcare so we can actually act like adults while we're down at Disney for one night, which is fantastic. Also, uh, they recently gave me a gift, which I'm super excited about, which is an original chair from Memorial Stadium. Wow. I talked to you about this before. That's going to be a cool gift. This is, this is an actual chair from Memorial Stadium. I'm so excited. Um, and so thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Here's the thing. It's uh, it's really cool. It's a, a wooden seat with the uh, you know wrought iron uh, stand part and the the arms basically obviously connected to a uh, a concrete piece behind. Yeah. So I have to mount it to something like a wall or or some sort of freestanding structure. But the arms are blue, and the seats are painted gray. Mm-hmm. I assume that that is the color scale from the. Baltimore Stallions, the CFL team. That sounds right, yes. That, that's what I, you know, it's clearly not a, a Baltimore Colts era seat. No. Um, and it's, you know, clearly not Orioles. But I'm assuming it's a it's a Stallions thing. So this is actually a kind of a call out to uh, Bird's Eye View listeners. If you uh, had seats to uh, the Stallions or you went to a Stallions game or something and you can clearly remember what Memorial Stadium looked like at the time, let me know if blue on the on the iron wrought arms or the metal arms and uh, gray on the on the wood is the color scheme from there or if there's another period that I'm missing because yeah. I'm very curious as to what the history of this yeah. is. I'm Do not- us a favor and tweet us a picture of your Memorial Day Stadium uh, seats to uh, Bird's Eye View BAL because I'd like to do a comparison for color palettes for uh Jake English's bar area. I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with it yet. The thing is, is it, it needs some, it needs some touch up yeah. and I can either go back and just paint it the same colors that it is now and, and keep it that way. Or I can find a, a period of history when the stadium maybe supported a, a local baseball team right. and, and paint it that way. If you have a, uh, you know, a recommendation for an Orioles era, uh, please do. The chair is number 11, and, of course, the uh, the section isn't marked on the seat. So I'm just going to assume it was 34. Yeah. Uh, you know, no big deal. No big deal. Just random you, you number I that, picked right? out. Yeah, yeah, I mean, okay. whatever. But seriously, uh, questions for you. Is, is blue and gray um, the stallions? And if I was going to put it, uh, you know, refinish it and... And, uh, and do it right. Bring it up to a, you know, a, a 1960s Orioles seat, what would that look like? And, and with that, Baldwin and Beyond, thank you so much. Yeah. I'm 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 out. Scott, did we miss anything? Um well we missed the oral sending any free agents, which that didn't happen. I don't think we missed it. Yeah, that's true. Uh no, I don't think we missed anything. I think you uh officially uh ranted enough about your Memorial Day seat and rubbed it in everybody else's uh face saying, Hey, your Christmas gift wasn't as cool as mine. I need help, Scott. 
Yeah. I desperately need help. You do need help, but it is not about the seats. It is about you sitting down for three plus hours and writing out Disney Birdland aspects. First of all, it did not take three hours. You would be ashamed at how quickly that all came out. Well, this is your Deep Confessions with Jake English. Jake? I've got nothing else. Baltimore and Beyond, I bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Baltimore, be safe out there while we're got. And let's go O's. No, seriously, do something. Please, oh my, please do something. Go. Go. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.